Chapter 17. Did the Messiah die for the sins of the world? In the last segment, the name by which we are saved, that is from death, was alluded to, but what was that name? Again, one thing we can be sure, it's not this Greek Messiah named Jesus. If we read what the original scriptures actually say before the name changes, we find the truth. The name of Yahweh's Son, the Messiah, as with all names, tells a story. That's what names were all about once upon a time. They told a story or gave a message about a person. A good example is the name Methuselah, that is Noah's grandfather. Methuselah meant, when I die, it will come. What a name! But it was, of course, a prophecy of the Great Flood. And that's exactly how it happened. When he died, the flood came. We have many good examples of children being given prophetic and teaching names with virtually all the prophets. Many proclaimed the Creator and His name. In fact, a prophet, Hosea, was instructed to marry a prostitute and name his children as pro proclamations for the people. The first was Lo-Ruhama. Lo meaning for I, that is Yahweh, will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. And the other, Lo-Ami, meaning for you are not my people, that is, anymore. This was the situation with Yeshua. His name was also a great teaching with a major message for us. Unfortunately, by changing the name, as the translators did, we lose the message. By replacing the name ordained from the foundation of the world, Yahshua, with a Greek counterfeit, Isis, or Jesus, the astonishing truth in the name Yeshua was lost. Let's look at a few statements by Yahweh informing us of that great meaning of that lost name, Yeshua, beginning in Isaiah. In chapter 43, verse 11, it says, I, even I, am Yahweh. Of course, that's Yeshua's father. And besides me, there is no Savior. There's probably no more shocking a scripture than this to be read to a Christian, but there it is. It totally goes against everything Christianity holds dear, but the truth hurts, as they say, at first, but then it does set us free. One thing's for sure, that scripture shows the prophetic truth found in the name Yahweh gave his truly firstborn son, Yeshua. Yeshua literally means Yahweh, the Father, saves or is Savior, Yah. And Shua, Yah means Yahweh, and Shua is salvation. But again, if you change Yeshua to a pagan Greek name, Isis, which just means a savior, the real truth is lost. Yeshua not being everyone's savior is an extremely difficult truth for most Christians to accept, but it's reinforced again in Psalms 54, verse 1. Save me, O Yahweh, again, that's the Father, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Again, we see Yahweh's name saves and is salvation. There are many such scriptures, but Yahweh being our Savior versus His Son isn't really such a strange concept to grasp at all. An example that brings things into proper perspective is when a son works with his father to build something or gets who gets the credit, the father or the son? Well, the answer is obvious, the father. Even though the son may have done much of the work, the credit still goes first and foremost to the father. You see, Yeshua, the firstborn son of Yahweh, was working for and with his father, just as we are and will be in lesser ways. Remember, Yeshua's words, he himself stated again and again, I of myself can do nothing. 
just like those tools I use to build things. They of themselves can do nothing. Yeshua speaks to that very thing in John 14.10. In the last part it says, But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Again, Old Testament reinforces this thought. An Old Testament scripture. I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. That's Isaiah 42, 8. Notice how he, the Father, states his name and declares that he does not give his glory to another. But to say this is the Son speaking, as much of Christianity does, is an absurdity. The whole point of his preaching in the New Testament was to bring glory to his Father. By the way, did you catch who the great I am is in that last verse? The great I am is none other, none other than Yahweh the Father. Adding to that truth is Psalms 148 verse 14 where it says, Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Again, we see dogmatically stated, Yahweh is the only name to be exalted. The truth is, no doubt the greatest reason for Christianity's lack of true understanding is the changing of the original sacred names. The Messiah's very name was given him by his Father to show us the truth of who the Savior is, which is Yahweh. If the adversaries or the demons haven't, hadn't done such a thorough job with their dirty work of replacing the sacred names with their pagan ones, the truth would have always been self-evident, simply by knowing the Hebrew Messiah's actual name and what it means. Before moving on, I'd like to highlight a few more scriptures to finish cementing this truth in concrete. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name Yahweh, not Jesus or the Lord, shall be saved. That's Joel 2.32. This is certainly not what we've been led to believe, is it? Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, that is, Savior, the set-apart one of Israel. That's Isaiah 43:13. Psalm 9:10 goes on to add, and those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Considering that scripture says it all, have we been seeking salvation in Yahweh as it instructs? Do we love his sacred exclusive name? Or make excuses as to why that name, for whatever reason, is obsolete and irrelevant, and or changed to Jesus are we humble enough to accept the truth of the original scriptures as to who the one true Father, God, and Savior is? Or will we stubbornly and proudly cling to the false and pagan names and concepts we were traditionally taught? Psalm 91.14 states, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, I will set him on high, because he has known my name. Let him who has eyes to see and ears to hear. Again, as mentioned earlier, most of the modern translations have done by the, were done by the Christians, mostly Protestants, and when confronted by a variety of different words and meanings in translating, which did they choose? Well, obviously the translators chose a word and phrases best fitting their traditional pagan belief systems. That's why it's imperative to understand the big picture first and not to force the big picture into our little preconceived or pagan molds.
Moving on. Sorry. Moving on, another primary teaching of Christianity is the Messiah's death paid the price for the sins of the world. This seems a fairly obvious conclusion considering a statement made in John 1.29, where it says, Behold, the Lamb of Yahweh who takes away the sin of the world. But looking around, we have to ask, did the Messiah's death really take away the sins of the world? The problem with that scripture, or what it seems to say, is its contradiction to so many other scriptures, not to mention logic. Have the monsters of modern history who slaughtered millions been made sinless by the death of the Messiah? In fact, can we honestly conclude there are any sinless people on earth? While many will interject here, the ones he died for are those who have confessed, uh, but usually go out and do it again anyway. Many Protestants believe he only saved those born again. But the word the translators chose there is world. Doesn't that mean the whole world? With that question in mind, just how do we reconcile that apparent statement by John the Baptist or Immerser, unless the Creator is condoning every conceivable atrocity and abhorrent behavior? To unravel this conundrum, we first need to examine the usage of a certain, certain word such as world and sin. A good place to begin is where the word world is used in the most well-known and loved scripture in the Protestant community, which is John 3.16. It says there, For God, or Yahweh, so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember, it says, For Yahweh so loved the world. Hmm. I don't think there's a more oft-quoted scripture. On the surface, it sounds wonderful, but for any thinking person with the thoughts just mentioned, who knows the Bible, there's a major problem. That problem is seen in the blatant contradiction of 1 John 2.15, where we're told, Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Hello, Houston, we have a problem. What we just read is a direct contradiction of John 3.16. The two scriptures say exactly the opposite while using the exact same Greek word for a world, which is cosmos. Can the Father really condemn someone for loving the world, which he also says he loves and gave his only begotten Son? Or is this a case of do as I say and not as I do? Is Yahweh really that kind of a hypocrite? This word cosmos in John 3.16 is also the same word used in John 1.29. John, being the son of a temple priest, would have most likely been teaching in Aramaic and or Hebrew. His words, after being passed orally for 30 to 40 years, were finally written down, put to pen in Greek around 50 to 60 AD. That's according to Dr. Bart Ehrman. Getting back to the word cosmos, we see it's used today to describe the heavens. But... It means heavens in English. Why was it translated world? Considering there is a vast difference between world and heavens, how can this conundrum be rectified? Well, first, we find the primary meaning in Strong's exhaustive Bible concordance of the word cosmos as orderly arrangement or order. 
Obviously, that's why it's used to describe the heavens, because they're very orderly. So how on earth, pun intended, did cosmos get translated world? Was it because world, by implication, is a lesser meaning, best fitting the Christian belief system? But if we go with order as the most probable meaning, which again is the chief meaning of cosmos and strongs, it gives a whole new and sensible meaning to what was said in both John 3.16 and John 1.29. John the Immerser, apparently a priest or Levite, would have been well versed in the meanings and purpose of Yahweh's Sabbath festivals, which were and are an outline and a rehearsal of the Creator's plan to raise up a family. John, knowing the first festival or Passover was about to be fulfilled for real, recognized Yeshua as the one represented by the Passover lamb. What he was actually saying was that Yahweh was so in love with his ordained plan to bring mankind into his family, he sacrificed his firstborn son as the first step of that very well-ordered and orderly plan. In the original Passover, the lamb's blood smeared on the doorpost kept the death angel, which is Mastema, according to the Book of Jubilees, which was once a part of the Old Testament canon. Anyway, the death angel from killing the firstborn. Again, it was only the firstborn that were saved from the death angel. So the original Passover being a physical rehearsal of the real thing to come means Yeshua said his, shed his blood for the same ones, the firstborn. Who are the firstborn then? Well, if we go back to Yahweh's Torah in Exodus 13.13 and Numbers 3.13, we find the firstborn were to be given to Yahweh to, like a tithe to be dedicated to serving in the temple. These first fruits were otherwise known as priests. The shocking truth is the firstborn of priesthood were the only ones Yeshua said his blood for, his priestly order. It was that priestly order to which John was referring. As we will see in a later chapter, it was the atonement goat in one of the fall festivals in Leviticus 16 that dies for the sins of the bulk of Israel, not the lamb. Getting back to cosmos, meaning order in wrongly translated world, we find the proper concept all through the book of Hebrews. There we find the order of Melchizedek, that is, the first high priest mentioned many times in reference to Yeshua. Yeshua became the high priest after that priestly order of Melchizedek. There, cosmos, or order, is properly rendered. John 3.16 correctly translated is, For Yahweh so loved his priestly order, he gave his only begotten Son. Besides, in observing the Christian teaching of the Messiah's death, that took away everyone's sins, we have a very serious problem with the obvious. You see, Romans 6.23 plainly tells us the penalty for sin is death. Well, if the penalty for sin, is, which is death, has been removed by the sacrifice of the Messiah, why is everyone, including Christians, still dying? The truth is, the penalty for sin, i.e. death, has not been removed. You can accuse me of being too simplistic, but remember the story of the emperor's new clothes. It was the little boy stating the obvious who spoke the truth. It's no different here. If the penalty for sin is death, 
then the removal of that penalty would be life without death. Nowhere do the Torah scriptures advocate we have to die first to receive life after we've chosen life. In fact, as shown before, Enoch and Elijah did not die. You know that's right if you're being honest. But if you feel the need to protect your traditional religious or Christian beliefs, you'll be forced to forsake honesty, not to mention common sense. To end this chapter and segue into the next, just how much true understanding do those who worship pagan and or false gods have? Remember, true understanding is the tree of life, which has been blocked from a pagan humanity just as it was in the garden. But don't be discouraged just because Christianity doesn't understand Yahweh's awesome plan for us doesn't mean it isn't going to happen.